Hello, and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast from the Lancet Infectious Diseases. It is September 2022, and I'm Liam Messin. This month, I'm joined by Dr. Richard Mild, Head of the Epidemiology Department at Mehadol Oxford Tropical Medicine Research Unit, Bangkok, Thailand, whose new study looks at the efficacy of malaria chemoprophylaxis among forest goers in Cambodia, which has been published online on thelancet.com. I started by asking him to bring us up to speed on what malaria elimination in Cambodia and the greater Mekong subregion looked like before his study. So the GMS region has made a commitment to eliminate plasmodium falciparum by 2023 and all forms of malaria by 2030. So it's had very strong political support at the highest levels and it's also had sustained funding, including through major investment from the Global Fund. They have a regional Artemis and resistance initiative that started in 2014. And this has happened in response to the appearance and spread of Artemis and resistance, uh, which had potential to derail elimination efforts. So since then, the number of reported cases has decreased from about 600,000 per year to less than 80,000 in 2021. And that's the largest regional reduction across the globe in malaria. And key to these efforts have been village malaria workers, strengthening surveillance to guide targeting of interventions, early diagnosis and treatment, and insecticide-treated bed nets. And there's also been substantial investment in research from a range of funders to guide policy, particularly how to tackle antimalarial drug resistance. So now on to your study. Now I did, I went back and checked uh, through 20 years of previous Lancet infectious diseases issues. And yours is genuinely the only piece of work I can find uh, with the, fra- the phrase forest goers in the title. Uh, so first, I think it's important uh, for the audience, we cover what we mean by a forest goer and why the focus on forest goers for this study. By forest goers, we just mean people who visit the forest. And in rural villages in the GMS, quite a high proportion of people regularly go to the forest for a variety of different reasons. And for example, to do farming, to gather food or medicinal plants, to do hunting, to cut wood, or even for recreational purposes. So as the amount of malaria has gone down in the region, there's been a big reduction in the areas where there's transmission happening. And nowadays, most of the malaria cases are catching the malaria in and around the forest, particularly in more more remote areas along international borders. And the main mosquitoes that are now transmitting malaria in the region live and breed in forested areas. So in areas with malaria-infected mosquitoes, the more time people spend in the forest, especially if they're there overnight, the higher their risk of catching malaria. And that's why that was a target group for our project. Okay, thank you. Now, please take us through what you did uh, for for this target group and um, what you found out. We conducted a randomised clinical trial amongst forest growers in a malaria-endemic part of northern Cambodia to assess the efficacy of chemoprophylaxis to prevent malaria infection. So to do this, we randomly selected people into one of two groups. The first group were given an antimalarial called artemethylumifantrin, and the second group was given a multivitamin that has no activity against malaria. And we used modelling to decide the dose and the frequency for taking these medications whilst people were travelling away from home in the forest. We then followed them up for up to three months whilst they continued to take that medicine, and they visited the forest, and we took blood samples from them every month to look for malaria parasites using PCR. We found that in the group taking the antimalarial 
chemoprophylaxis, less than 3% of them got malaria. And in the other group taking the vitamin, just over 17% got malaria. So that's a six-fold reduction in malaria infections. Yeah, this chemoprophylaxis. Is this something that we should be looking to roll out across the Cambodian forests um, and, and beyond? I mean, is this something that's only Cambodia-specific? Well, yes, it's got a lot of potential. It can help accelerate elimination of malaria in high-risk groups in lots of different places, particularly in forest goats. That's the evidence that we've generated. There's already been pilots of chemoprophylaxis run by the governments in Cambodia and in Laos. However, prophylaxis is not going to be enough on its own. And other interventions such as early diagnosis and treatment and bed nets, they still need to be maintained at the same time. So as part of this project in Cambodia, in Laos and in Thailand, we did epidemiological research to better understand forest goers, where they go and what they do. And we interviewed them about perceptions about different malaria interventions, including prophylaxis. We also interviewed policymakers about the feasibility of introducing prophylaxis in their country. And we found that there were many similarities between forest goers in the three countries, and there's a lot of interest in an openness to prophylaxis as an intervention. There were some understandable concerns about possible side effects, and these are relatively few for the particular medicines we chose for the study. There was also concern about potential for antimalarial resistance. And because of that, the medication needs to be carefully selected to minimize these. So we also focused a lot on involving the communities in the trial uh, with engagement and education to help them understand about the medicine and what we were hoping to achieve. And we think this is essential when introducing any new intervention to ensure it's accepted and that people use it. You did. You touched on uh, feasibility uh, there briefly. What are some of the practical considera- considerations for doing this? I mean, is this affordable? Because uh, you're reaching these very, you know, rural groups, you're potentially quite isolated groups. Yeah, the medication itself is very affordable. The medicine costs about three US dollars for the first three days and then about $1 per week thereafter. It needs to be administered by local healthcare workers who also need to educate the person taking it about possible side effects and the importance of not missing any doses. So they need to be reminded to continue to use other prevention measures, as I mentioned, and to also seek treatment if they become unwell, but just as they normally would. So we ran our trial with local healthcare workers, village malaria workers and villagers hoping to replicate as much as possible how prophylaxis might be ruled out by a government. So the goal was to provide evidence to give an indication of the real-world efficacy outside of the typical idealised clinical trial setting. In our trial, adherence with the medicine was very high. We found a good level of understanding about the prophylaxis amongst the participants. Terrific. You also mentioned the concern of drug resistance. I mean, artemisinin resistance and multi-drug resistance is already a problem in this region. How do we reduce that likelihood, you know, you know, for, the, for a new intervention uh, such as yours? So indeed, artemisinin and ACT resistance are a big concern in our region, but also increasingly now in Africa. It's important that the medication used for prophylaxis is chosen carefully. It needs to be different from what's used as first-line treatment in the country, and that's to reduce drug pressure that might facilitate resistance. In Cambodia, during the trial, the first-line treatment was different. It was artesanate mefloquine. Our choice for prophylaxis, artemethylimifantrin, hadn't been used for treatment. Also, adherence is very important, so people shouldn't miss any doses of the medication, and that's why 
as part of the trial, we did engagement in education to help people understand why that's important. And we also set up a system where villagers monitored each other to ensure that they were taking the medicine correctly. It also helped that we use medicine that had relatively few side effects, so people don't become too worried about taking it. And we educated people about what to expect about these side effects and what to do about them. Uh, thank you. That's great. One of the first things you mentioned, uh, you know, is the, is the Mekong Malaria Elimination Program, uh, the MME. Um, and as you said, you know, this aims to, this is a WHO project to eliminate uh, Plasmodium uh, Passapara malaria by 2023 and all malaria by 2030. Now, we are still very much uh, in the midst of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Are we still on track to reach those 2023 and 2030 targets? And if not, what else do you think would need to be done? Yeah, well, the good news is from what's been reported so far, COVID doesn't appear to have had a big impact on malaria elimination in the GMS. Although progress has slowed recently, particularly particularly for pre-vivax, there's continuing progress with numbers of cases falling in Cambodia, Laos, Thailand and Vietnam. Um, however, the situation in Myanmar is less optimistic and there are more than 75% of the cases in the region in Myanmar. And unfortunately, last year, there was a reported increase in vivax. So there's more challenges there. There's still a lot of scope for improving things, um, for improving surveillance and better use of data to decide which areas to target with packages of interventions. And that should include newer interventions such as prophylaxis, and there are others being trialed. And this should include efforts that we're helping to support to try and sustain and strengthen these village malaria worker networks. Plasmodium falciparium malaria is obviously not the only you know, type of malaria, otherwise there wouldn't be a target to eliminate all malaria by 2030. And between 2018 and 2020 in Malaysia, uh, for instance, there were 8,500 cases of humans um, infected with plasmodium uh, nolsi, uh, which typically infects old world monkeys. How concerned should we about, be about these you know, zoonotic spillover events? I mean, in an increasing, you know, are, the, are these likely to get worse? I mean, you know, we've just had, you know, monkeypox, the kind of, you know, zoonotic disease du jour at the moment. I guess there's a lot of focus on that kind of globally, on these sort of spillover events. Is, it, is this a concern for malaria? Yeah, well, Prinolzai is obviously a big concern in Malaysia. It's pretty rare in the greater Mekong region and elsewhere. Fortunately, it's very responsive to treatment with these artemisinin combination therapies, like the one that we included in the trial. Similar to our population in Cambodia, it's transmitted in and around forests, so the approach that we trialled could work quite well. However, as, as you mentioned, the species also infects monkeys, and they act as a reservoir for this spillover. There are other similar species that have been identified where there's, there's rare, but there, there is transmission into humans. Interventions like chemoprophylaxis certainly could help, but they're going to have a much harder time interrupting transmission. So there's a big need to accompany them with a range of other measures. And I should mention, I mean, P. vivax is now the predominant species in the GMS. It used to be falciparum, and it's more challenging to eliminate that because of this problem of recurrences. It, it hides in the liver and then comes out from the liver and infected people. Our trial looked at all species of malaria, and the main effect of the prophylaxis was, in fact, on vivax, because that was the main parasite that we found in our population. And lastly, um, is there any future work, uh, you know, any trials in the, in the, in the, in the pipeline? Uh, that you'd like to tell us and our listeners about? Yeah, there's a couple of things. We're currently working on using modelling to predict the impact of prophylaxis in a range of different transmission settings. So this uses results from the trial and the other studies I mentioned, and it's going to provide additional evidence for other countries that might want to consider introducing this as an intervention. 
And then we have another ongoing project supported by the Global Fund, looking at how to sustain village malaria workers to support elimination in the GMS. So it's essential for countries to maintain these networks so they can detect and quickly respond to new cases that come about. To do this, we're looking at different activities that they might be able to do in addition to things for malaria, because that could potentially be funded from other sources, and for example, diagnosing or treating other diseases. And this is very important as the number of malaria cases continues to fall, it's going to become harder to justify the funds to keep them employed just for malaria. You can read Dr. Maud's research online now on thelancet.com. Thank you, Dr. Maud. And thank you for listening. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you usually get your podcasts.